0: Part One, Chapter Six, Part Four of *Nostromo*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mario Pinena. *Nostromo* by Joseph Conrad, Part One, Chapter Six, Part Four. The great man, massive and benignant, had been looking at him thoughtfully. When he broke the short silence, it was to remark that concessions flew about thick in the air of Costawana. Any simple soul that just yearned to be taken in could bring down a concession at the first shot. Our consuls get their mouths stopped with them, he continued, with a twinkle of genial scorn in his eyes. But in a moment he became grave. A conscientious, upright man that cares nothing for bottle, and keeps clear of their intrigues, conspiracies, and factions soon gets his passports. See that, Mr. Good, Persona non grata. That's the reason our government is never properly informed. On the other hand, Europe must be kept out of this continent, and for proper interference on our part, the time is not yet ripe, I dare say. But we here, we are not this country's government, neither are we simple souls. Your affair is all right. The main question for us is whether the second partner, and that's you, is the right sort of to hold his own against the third and unwelcome partner, which is one or another of the high and mighty rubber gangs that run the Costaguana government. "'What do you think, Mr. Good, eh?' He bent forward to look steadily into the unflinching eyes of Charles Good, who, remembering the large box full of his father's letters, put the accumulating scorn and bitterness of many years into the tone of his answer. "'As far as the knowledge of these men, in their methods and their politics, is concerned, I can answer for myself.' I have been fed on that sort of knowledge since I was a boy. I am not likely to fall into mistakes from excess of optimism. Not likely, eh? That's all right. on a stiff upper lip is what you'll want, and you could bluff a little on the strength of your bagging. Not too much, though. We will go with you as long as the thing runs straight, but we won't be drawn into any large trouble. This is the experiment which I am willing to make. There is some risk, and we will take it, but if you can't keep up on your end, We will stand our loss of course and then we'll let the thing go this man can wait it has been shut up before as you know you must understand that under no circumstances we will consent to throw good money after bad thus the great personage had spoken then in his own private office in a great city where other men very considerable in the eyes of a vain populace waited with alacrity upon a wave of his hand and rather more than a year later during his unexpected appearance in sulaco he had emphasized his uncompromising attitude with a freedom of sincerity permitted to his wealth and influence he did this with the less reserve perhaps because the inspection of what had been done and more still the way in which successive steps had been taken had impressed him with the conviction that charles goode was perfectly capable of keeping up his end this young fellow he thought to himself might yet become a power in the land this thought flattered him for hitherto the only account of this young man he could give to his intimates was My brother-in-law met him in one of these one-horse old German towns, near some mines, and sent him on to me with a letter. He is one of the Costaguana goods, pure-bred Englishmen, but all born in the country. His uncle went into politics, was the last provincial president of Sulaco, and got shot after a battle. His father was a prominent businessman in Santa Marta, tried to keep clear of their politics, and died ruined after a lot of revolutions. And that's your Costaguana in a nutshell of course he was too great a man to be questioned as to his motives even by his intimates the outside world was at liberty to wonder respectfully at the hidden meaning of his actions he was so great a man that his lavish patronage of the pure forms of christianity which in its naive form of church-building amused mr good was looked upon by his fellow citizens as the manifestation of a pious and humble spirit but in his own circles of the financial world the taking up of such a thing as the Santime mine was regarded with respect, indeed, but rather as a subject for discreet jocularity. It was a great man's caprice. In the great Holroyd building, an enormous pile of iron, glass, and blocks of stone at the corner of two streets, cobwebbed aloft by the radiation of telegraph wires, the heads of principal departments exchanged humorous glances, which meant that they were not let into the secrets of the Santime business. The Costaguana mail. It was never large, one fairly heavy envelope, was taken unopened straight into the great man's room, and no instructions dealing with it had ever been issued thence. The office whispered that he answered personally, and not by dictation either, but actually writing in his own hand, with pen and ink, and, it was to be supposed, taking a copy of his own private press copybook inaccessible to profane eyes. Some scornful young men, insignificant pieces of minor machinery in that eleven-story high workshop of great affairs, expressed frankly their private opinion that the great chief had done at last something silly, and was ashamed of his folly. Others, elderly and insignificant, but fully of romantic reverence for the business that had devoured their best years, used to mutter darkly and knowingly that this was a portentous sign, that the Holroyd connection meant, by and by— to get hold of the whole republic of Gustawana, lock, stock, and barrel. But, in fact, the hobby theory was the right one. It interested the great man to attend personally to the Santu Mine. It interested him so much that he allowed this hobby to give a direction to the first complete holiday he had taken for quite a startling number of years. He was not running a great enterprise there, no mere railway board or industrial corporation. He was running a man a success would have placed him very much on refreshingly noble grounds but on the other side of the same feeling it was incumbent upon him to cast it off utterly at the first sign of failure and man might be thrown off the papers had unfortunately trumpeted all over the land his journey to costaguana if he was pleased at the way charles Gould was going on he infused an added grimness into his assurances of support even at the very last interview half an hour or so before he rolled out of the patio Hat in hand behind mrs Goode's white mules he had said in charles's room you go ahead in your own way i shall know how to help you as long as you hold your own but you may rest assured that in any given case we shall know how to drop you in time to this charles goodes's answer had been you may begin sending out the machinery as soon as you like and the great man had liked this imperturbable assurance the secret of it was that to charles Goods's mind these uncompromising terms were agreeable. Like this the mind preserved its identity with which he had endowed it as a boy, and then remained dependent on himself alone. It was a serious affair, and he too took it grimly. Of course, he said to his wife, alluding to this last conversation with the departed guest while they walked sloppily up and down the corridor, followed by the irritated eye of the pirate. Of course, a man of that sort can take up a thing or drop it when he likes he will suffer from no sense of defeat he might have to give in or he might have to die tomorrow but the great silver and iron interests will survive and some day will get hold of Costawana along with the rest of the world they had stopped near the cage the parrot catching the sound of a word belonging to his vocabulary was moved to interfere parrots are very human viva Costawana!" he shrieked with intense self-assertion and instantly ruffling up his feathers assumed an air of puffed-up somnolence behind his glittering wires. "'And do you believe that, Charlie?' Mrs. Goose asked. "'This seems to be the most awful materialism, and—' uh... "'My dear, it's nothing to me,' interrupted her husband in a reasonable tone. "'I make use of what I see. "'What's it to me whether his talk is the voice of destiny "'or simply a bit of claptrap eloquence? "'There is a good deal of eloquence of one sort of another produced in both Americas.' The air of the new world seems favorable to the art of declamation. Have you forgotten how dear Avellanos can haul forth for hours here? Oh, but that's different, protested Mrs. Good, almost shocked. The allusion was not to the point. Don José was a dear good man who talked very well and was enthusiastic about the greatness of this Tome mine. How can you compare them, Charles? she exclaimed, reproachfully. He has suffered, and yet he hopes. The working competence of men, which she never questioned, was very surprising to Mrs. Good, because upon so many obvious issues they showed themselves strangely muddle-headed. Charles Good, with a careworn calmness which secured for him at once his wife's anxious sympathy, assured her that he was not comparing. He was an American himself, after all, and perhaps he could understand both kinds of eloquence if it were worth while to try. He added grimly but he had breathed the air of England longer than any of his people had done for three generations, and really he begged to be excused. His poor father could be eloquent too, and he asked his wife whether she remembered a passage in one of his father's last letters where Mr. Good had expressed the conviction that God looked gruffly at these countries or else. He would let some ray of hope fall through a rift in the appalling darkness of intrigue, Bloodshed and crime that hung over the Queen of Continents. Mrs. Good had not forgotten. "You're ready to meet Charlie," she murmured. It was a striking pronouncement. How deeply your father must have felt its terrible sadness. He did not like to be robbed; it exasperated him. "said Charles Good, but the image will serve well enough. What is wanted here is law, good faith, order, security. Any one can declaim about these things, but I pin my faith to material interests." Only let the material interests once get a firm footing and they are bound to impose the conditions on which alone they can continue to exist. That's how your money-making is justified here in the face of lawlessness and disorder. It is justified because the security which it demands must be shared with an oppressed people. A better justice will come afterwards. That's your ray of hope. His arm pressed her slight form closer to his side for a moment. And who knows whether, in that sense, even the santum mind mine might not become that little rift in the darkness which poor father despaired of ever seeing. She glanced up at him with admiration. He was competent. He had given a vast shape to the vagueness of her unselfish ambition. Charlie, she said, you are splendidly disobedient. He left her suddenly in the corridor to go and get his hat, a soft gray sombrero, an article of national costume, which combined unexpectedly well with his English get up he came back, a riding whip under his arm, buttoning up a dogskin glove. His face reflected the resolute nature of his thoughts. His wife had waited for him at the head of the stairs, and before he gave her the parting kiss, he finished the conversation. What should be perfectly clear to us, he said, is the fact that there is no going back. Where could we begin life afresh? We are in now for all that there is in us. He bent over her upturned face very tenderly, and a little remorsefully charles Good was competent because he had no illusions the good concession had to fight for life with such weapons as could be found at once in the mire of a corruption that was so universal as almost to lose its significance he was prepared to stoop for his weapons for a moment he felt as if the silver mine which had killed his father had decoyed him further than he meant to go and with the roundabout logic of emotions he felt that the worthiness of his life Was bound up with success. There was no going back. End of part one, chapter six, part four.